excited about tonight. It's going to be so good here this evening. Matthew chapter 7, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday evenings, and so the Sermon on the Mount is coming to a conclusion, and with that, Jesus is asking for a response. And so that's kind of where we're going to be here this morning. I wonder, have you ever been lost? Most of us have. We've been lost, or maybe you have lost something that is near and dear to you. At, at my house, I have Two boys, Mason and Maddox, they are 13 today, so big day at our house. <clears throat> They're not even in here. They came to early service and said, we're going to celebrate early, so they've already skipped on out of here, but we're celebrating today. Then we have Casey Grace, and she is five. And so at our house, sometimes it gets really quiet, and you would think that's a good thing, but it's usually not. And so when things get quiet, we all begin to wonder, what is our little girl, Casing Grace, up to? And so we start to look, and if we can't find her, it happens occasionally, we all begin to run through the house, run out in the yard, and we begin to yell, Casing, 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 where are you? And she's only missing for a few minutes, but it seems as though time stops. And in that moment, if it's ever happened to you, your heart begins to rush, your blood pressure begins to raise, and you start thinking, where in the world is my little girl? And so we, we rush, we finally find her, and then that peace comes over our body, and we hold on to her, Kaysen, you got to tell us when you go outside, baby, we got to know where you are. It, it's one thing to be lost and know you're lost, but it's something entirely different when you're lost and you don't realize it. After Brittany and I got married, one evening she had to go to Shreveport. And so she called me after her meeting, and we were talking on the phone, and she said, I'm driving by buildings that don't look familiar. I know I'm going the right way, but these buildings don't look familiar. And I said, well, baby, what road are you on? She said, I'm on Interstate 20. I said, good, which way are you going? And she said, I'm headed east. And I said, Brittany, why are you headed east? And she said, because we live in East Texas. <laughs> and so she was going the wrong direction. She was lost, and she didn't realize she was lost. And when you're lost and you don't realize it, then there's no opportunity to fix the problem. Now, that really sets us up for the text in front of us today because we see folks who are lost, and they don't realize it. Spiritually speaking, there are many folks who were lost and they don't understand where they are. In Revelation chapter 3, there's a group of folks who feel like they are good because their life is good. They have prospered. They don't have any needs. But the Lord says, you don't realize that you are poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. You think you're okay, but you're really not. You think that all is well in your life, but you have been deceived because things are not well. Now, with that in mind, look at Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21. And we're going to stand just in honor of the inerrant, precious Word of God. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name 
and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And you can be seated. First point I want you to see from our text is the worthless profession. The worthless profession. Verse 21, it said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. If you go out in town today, you're going to find a whole lot of folks who profess to be a Christian. In fact, latest studies show that about 70% of Americans will claim to be a Christian. And so if the preaching's not too long and you go to Papacitas or you go to Roadhouse or wherever your favorite restaurant is and you see people all around you, especially today on Sunday, most folks that you see will have made some type of profession in faith. But the Bible tells us here that a profession is not always enough. There are many folks who have made a profession of faith. They believe that they are okay spiritually, but in reality, they are not. There are many folks who believe that they have right standing with God because they have walked down a church aisle and they have filled out a card, and so they believe they're saved. There are many folks who think they are saved because they have been through the baptism waters. Baptism does not save you, amen? There are many folks who think that they are saved because they attend a church. They think they're saved because they have their own pew they sit in week after week after week, but having your own pew in church does not save you. There are folks who think they're saved because they have given lots of money to the church, and all that to be said, there are many folks all around us, most folks that we know, have made some type of profession of faith But the Bible makes it clear that that is not necessarily true. There's a scripture in John chapter 2, which has always made me ponder. It's made me think. It says in John chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, Now when he, talking about Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. They saw the miracles, the signs, the wonderful deeds that he was doing, and the Bible says they began to believe in him. But verse 24 says, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. They believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in their belief. They believed, but it was not enough. They believed, but the Bible said Jesus did not entrust himself to them. And the reason why is because Jesus saw past their false motives. Jesus saw that their belief was not true, it was not genuine, and it had no saving power behind it. They believed, but it was not enough. It's kind of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And so I'm trying to paint the picture for you today that there are some who have made a profession of faith, but it is a worthless profession. Do you understand that from the text? So then my question is, 
How big of a problem is this? How big of a problem is this? Is this something that we need to spend a lot of time looking into? Maybe it's a small problem. Maybe it only affects a few people. Maybe it's not a problem for us in our area, but it's a problem for others elsewhere. Well, look at the next verse. Look at verse 22. It says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now, that, that word many, it sends a chill down my spine. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And I will say to them plainly, depart from me, for I never knew you. Many. He, he said the word already. He said there's one way that's narrow, few find it. Another way that's wide, and many will find it. He said that many are called and few are chosen. But when you see that word many, it means that there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of folks who are involved in religious activity, and they're going through the motions, but they have no genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want you to understand that this is not a happy, feel-good sermon. It's just not. It's not a sermon that's going to make you just feel tickled pink as you leave this place. But it's a sermon that, that we need. Because this is setting up one of the most crucial moments in all of our life, all of our existence as humanity. And there are folks who will stand before God and they will be maybe shocked and surprised to realize and understand that they have no true, genuine relationship. So how big of a problem is it? If you think back to some of the, the great preachers, the great men of God over the last decades, you find there is a common concern. Billy Graham once commented that he believes 85% of folks and event, evangelical churches are lost. I want that to, to just seep in with you. 85% of churchgoers are lost, is what Billy Graham said. W.A. Criswell said he would be surprised to see 25% of his church members in heaven. A.W. Tozer said that he believes 90% of churchgoers have no real relationship with the Lord. R.A. Torrey, D.L. Moody, they all say the same thing. They, they preach week after week after week, and they look at full congregations of people who have their pew, they have their spot, and they all come back and they say, I am convicted that the majority of my church is lost. And so when it says many, it is a big deal, and it makes me ask the question, what if that's true? What if that's true of the United States of America, that there are many folks who are involved in church, but they have no genuine relationship? It's a scary thing, isn't it? What if it's true around us? What if it's true in Longview, Texas? What if it's true at Woodland Hills Baptist Church? What if it's true at Woodland Hills Baptist Church, even on a day like today, that there are many people who are involved and committed in here but there's no genuine relationship. See, in my Bible, I circle that word many because it's very important. It doesn't say few. I wish it said few. I wish it said occasionally. I wish it said every once in a while there's someone who thinks they're heading in the right direction, but they're not. But it doesn't say few. It doesn't say occasionally. It says many. There are many folks. 
on that day, the day of judgment, on that day, the day of the Lord, the great white throne judgment we see in Revelation chapter 20, there's, there's many religious folks who will hear the words, depart from me because I never knew you. It's not talking about folks outside, it's talking about folks inside the walls of the church. Depart from me, I, I never knew you. The church knew you, the people knew you, but I never knew you, and so the profession is worthless. Number two, I want you to see that the works are worthless. We have the profession that's worthless, but we also see that there are works that are worthless. Look at verse 22. On that day, many will say, and what do they say? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not preach in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? It's interesting because most folks believe that they are saved because of works. In fact, if you look at all the other religions of the world, you will see they are based upon works. You work to earn the favor of God. You work, you do, you complete this list, and then hopefully you earn the favor of God. We do not have a work-based religion, amen? amen? The Bible tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man can boast. Listen, there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. You cannot give enough money. It'll never work. It'll never pay off. You giving money will not earn your salvation. Now keep giving it, okay? We need it around here. You have met Brother Charles. He likes to spend it, so keep giving it. We need it, okay? But it's not going to earn your salvation. You cannot come to church enough to earn your salvation. You cannot drive enough buses, teach enough classes, go on enough visitation trips or mission trips to earn your salvation. Most people believe that if you do more good in life than bad, then you're going to be okay in the afterlife. That's not what the Bible teaches. There is one way to salvation, and that is through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we have a group of folks in the text before us, and they come to the Lord, and they say, but wait a minute, the scene is a judgment scene. They stand before the judge, they plead their case, and you'll notice when they're pleading their case, they say, but wait a minute, we preached in your name. We're talking about preachers. Preachers, they're just going to be preachers who stand before God at judgment day, and they realize they were never really saved. We preached. We sang. We were in the choir week after week after week. We taught a life group. We drove buses. We worked with the kids, and the kids were really bad a lot of times. And we were faithful. We were committed. We were there. And they keep calling out for all the things that they have done because they think it's based upon works. And they stand before God, the Almighty Judge, and they say, wait a minute, let me tell you about all the things that I have done. And they're thinking, surely that's enough to earn my spot in heaven. And then verse 23 comes. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, take, take a moment. Zone in just for a second. We need to understand, and, and I'm not, I don't care anything about playing on emotions. 
what I'm giving you this morning is a warning from the Word of God. Amen? Amen. The sirens should be going off because they go off in my heart. Okay? This verse we need to understand very well. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Picture the scene in your mind, standing before God at the day of judgment and hearing those words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. What a terrible day. What a tragedy. Depart from me, the almighty God. Depart from me, the everlasting light into eternal darkness. Depart from me from my grace and my mercy and my love. Depart from me for all that is good and go into judgment. It is a scene that if we will really just take a moment and, and understand what's being said in the word of God, it will make our heart race a minute and realize that this is very important. It's very important for my life and it's very important in your life. It's talking about church leaders. It's talking about those who are committed, those who are faithful. It's talking about that Sunday crowd of people. And many of them, according to the word of God, will hear the words, depart from me, for I never knew you. You won't preach anymore. You won't sing anymore. You won't teach anymore. You won't study anymore. You won't pray any longer. Is it possible for a person to sit in church week after week after week after week and still not be genuinely saved? It's possible. Is it possible for one to go through lots of Bible study and lots of Bible training but have no real relationship with God? It's possible. And it may be a whole lot more likely than we would like to admit. Because we can fool each other, can't we? You can fool me, and I can fool you. But I will not fool God, and you will not fool God. God knows who I really am. In my heart, God knows who I really am. God knows my thought life. God knows all that's going on with me. God knows all that's going on with you. And so you can fool your spouse and your kids and your friends and all the people around you, but you will never fool God. Hebrews 4.13, it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. You want a picture of what I'm talking about? Remember Judas, the disciple Judas? If we would have looked at Judas, we would have said, That guy loves Jesus. He was a, a faithful disciple, a faithful follower. Everywhere Jesus went, there was Judas. He gave up his life to follow Jesus. And then we come to find out that he had no genuine relationship. He had no love for Jesus. He was following. He looked the part, but there was something missing on the inside. And it could be there's a lot of that going on in our churches that we're involved with religious activity, but there's a connection that is missing. We see an example of this in Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28, you can find it if you'd like. While you're looking, I, I heard about a guy, you may have heard this before, but his name was Matt Emmons. And he was competing in the 2004 Olympics. He was in a rifle event, and they would shoot three times at the target. 
He shot his first two rounds, and he was doing extremely well. All he had to do was pretty much hit the target, and he would get first place and a gold medal. And so Matt gets up, and he gets in lane two, and he takes his time. He focuses on the target in front of him. He begins to squeeze the trigger, and the bullet comes out. He makes a great shot on the target. Easily, it would be enough to land him first place. The problem is, instead of aiming at his target, he was aiming at the target in the lane beside him. And so he totally missed his target because he was aiming at the wrong one. And so he should have had first place, but he ended up achieving eighth place. He didn't even get to stand on the platform because he was aiming at the wrong target. You see, it could be that we have manipulated the gospel message so much that we are aiming really hard at something. We're working really diligently at something, but we're going after the wrong target. Instead of going after Jesus, which is what we ought to be going for with all that we have, we're going after something else. And so we're working, we're rushing, we're going, but we're going towards the wrong target and the result of that is destruction. And so I want to call you. I want to call myself. What we've got to do is chase after Jesus. It's not about our works. It's not about what we do. It's not even about our profession. What matters today is do we love Jesus? I, I don't care about anything else. I don't care about your skin color. I really don't. I don't care where you live. I don't care what you drive. I don't care if you have been in church a million times or if this is your first time in church. What I care about is do you truly love the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's the only thing that matters. Everything else is going to fall away. Everything else is going to be destroyed. But your love, your devotion, your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is what will always stand. And that's what's going to make the difference. Look at Isaiah, Isaiah 28, verse 14 and 15. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol. We have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. They've got this contract, they believe, that says, wait a minute, we've made this covenant with death. And so when judgment comes, we're going to be okay. And they have bought into these lies. He calls them lies of refuge. We made this covenant, this contract. We do our part, and then God's going to do his part. But it is a refuge of lies. And then you go down to verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid the foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. What is that cornerstone? It's Jesus. Go to 1 Peter. It's talking about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. All that matters is Jesus what matters for my life, what matters for your life is Jesus. The main thing, the thing that matters most is do you know Jesus? Do I know Jesus? Three times in the text he says, you did this in the name of the Lord. You did this for the Lord. You did this for the Lord. And I'm asking you, do you really know the Lord? It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. 
What does he say? He says, depart from me for I never knew you. That's a relationship. It's not talking about works. He says, I had no relationship with you. You say, Case, what, what's the point? What are you trying to draw out of us through this sermon? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? You say, Case, this makes me uneasy. It makes me uneasy too. It really does. When I read this scripture, and I really think about it, it makes me uneasy. It makes me evaluate my life, where I'm at spiritually. It makes me evaluate my family. It makes me think of my, my church family that we're blessed with. The thought of folks who I love and care for standing before God and hearing those words depart from me, I never knew you. It's a tragedy, isn't it? You say, well, you're just trying to play on emotions. I'm not. I'm really not. So I could, I could never make a decision. What would people think? You know, it, it really doesn't matter what people think. It matters what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. It's really what matters in life. To think of this scene and to realize it could be true of folks sitting in this room this morning. In my house, we've always, my boys have always loved playing baseball. And so when they were little, we'd go out in the backyard, and we'd get in a triangle, and I'd throw the ball to Mason, Mason would throw it to Maddox, and Maddox would throw it back to me. And every time you catch the ball, you take one giant step back. And so we get further and further every time somebody makes a catch. And with boys, you've got to make everything competitive, and so we play that if you drop the ball, you're out. Okay, and so one day we were playing, and we got to where we had a huge triangle going. And so you'd get the ball, and you'd go as hard as you could, and you'd throw it, and the, the kid would be over here, and he'd get under it, he'd catch it. And so the triangle was getting larger and larger and larger. I remember I, I got it, and I threw it as hard as I could, so far away, and Maddox went to catch it, and he got his glove under it, and it hit his glove, and then it popped out on the ground. And he got quiet, and he looked at me, and Mason looked at me, and he picked it up real quick, and he put it back in his glove, and we all just stood there for a moment. And then he said, Daddy, do I have to be out? And I thought for a moment, and I said, baby, let's just do this. Let's just call it a do-over. Let's just do it again. Let's just keep on playing, keep on going. On this day we're talking about in Matthew 7, there's no do-over. There's no second chance. That's why this is possibly the most serious sermon I could preach to our church because it's serious. If we get this wrong, then nothing else really matters, does it? I mean, if we get this wrong, if we don't get this right, then what else is there? We've got to make sure we get this right. We've got to make sure if we want to advance the kingdom of God, if we want Woodland Hills to be the lighthouse in the community around us, we've got to first make sure that we have that proper relationship. There's no second chance. There's no do-over. So we saw the worthless profession. We saw the worthless works. Let me just give you the essentials, and then 
will be done. Never one time did they say, Lord, you died for me. They didn't say that. They never said, Lord, you bore my sins on Calvary. They never said, Lord, you are my confidence. You are my hope. You are my trust. You are my refuge. That was not the answer on their lips. They kept saying what they had done. Let me tell you what I've done to earn this salvation. They never talked about Jesus. You want to see how, how Paul says it? In Philippians 3, Paul says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason to confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But listen, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, <clears throat> I never knew you, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says what matters is not my religious work or my effort. What matters is that I know Jesus. And I just want you to ask yourself the question, are you sure that you know Jesus? I'm not asking how many Bible stories you know, how many hours you've sit on your pew. I'm asking, do you know Jesus? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Do you love him? Do you love him? Have that relationship to where you want more and more and more? Because it could be. It's turned into just activity, just religion, just work. And if that's the case, there could be a tragic day in the future. So examine yourself. I, I am too. Examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. Because if we're not, we want to catch it right away. Let me ask you to close your eyes. I want to give you just a moment to think. I know it's a lot to, it's a lot to think about this morning. I know that. It's serious. I understand but I want to give you just a moment to think in your heart. When you stand before God in judgment and he says, why should I let you into my kingdom? What is your response? Is it works or is it relationship? What would your response be? And then you've got a decision. Maybe you look and you say, listen, I know I'm saved. I go through highs and lows, but I know that I'm saved. Praise God for that. I'm not trying to make anybody question their salvation. Praise God if you know that you're saved. I, that's a blessing. Be thankful for that. But there could be folks in here who, after hearing the text, the scriptures, say, you know what, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. And that scene, that is a scary scene. I just, I don't know. And then you've got to decide, is the Holy Spirit drawing you to salvation? I can't answer that, but you can. How do you respond to the calling of God in your life?
So one of two things, either we rejoice in our salvation this morning and we're grateful, thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life, or we're not sure, and then hopefully we come to the spot that we gain that assurance. Lord, we thank you again for this time. Thank you for, God, each one who's paid such good attention this morning. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you will deal with each and every one of our hearts and you'll show us where we stand spiritually. Lord, if we're saved, I pray that you'll give us that assurance that we will know that and we can serve you with all of our hearts. But if we're not, Lord, I pray that you'll make us so uneasy right now. So much tension in our bodies that we can't hold on to it and that you will draw folks to salvation. Lord, we love you. We're just asking for your will to be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Come thou fount 